0: your host. This is the last episode in season seven. This is the last episode for the year. Uh, This podcast is for teachers, but it's also for parents. It's for anyone interested in education. And today's topic is going to be on the national curriculum uh, in Australia. Now, I, I don't know how many teachers and parents have managed to Um, have a look at the national curriculum and all the different subject areas. I've waded my way through about three quarters of it. Um, And I've got to say that if, if the national curriculum was food, it would have absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever. And it would leave you with a brain fog worse than COVID. That's my opinion, but perhaps I'm wrong. Today, we'll be uh, talking with uh, three guests. We'll be talking to Marty Ross from Bad Mathematics about the curriculum. We'll be talking to Colleen Harkin uh, from the Head of Class Actions at the Institute of Public Affairs. Um, And we'll be talking to Bella de Brera about the most recent research on uh, teacher training and how that affects the national curriculum. So um, we'll be looking at all sorts of things about the national curriculum. It's not going to be a highly positive uh, episode, um, but I think you'll learn some interesting things about how the national curriculum came to be. Now, before we get into that... Um, marking the role has been doing some research for teachers at the uh, towards the end of the year, um, and we've discovered that about seventy-one percent of our listeners have had more than twenty years' experience uh, as a teacher, so they've been in the trade for a longer period of time. And only seven percent of our listeners um, have had, you know, a just short period of, of uh, professional experience, one to five years. Um, Now, 57% of all the teachers that we researched said it had become worse and harder to cope in 2023. Uh, 35% said it had stayed the same and about 7% said it had got better. And look, I'm going to um, assume that that 7% who said it got better, they're the younger teachers who have only been in there for a little while. No one, nobody has noticed an improvement in student behavior in 2023 compared to 2022. Um, Half of the respondents said they were doing the same amount of admin. Um, 35% said they were doing more and 15% said they're doing less. So the admin problem hasn't improved. 78% said there was no change in the way that they were dealt with by NESA or by their governing body, um, they said that they were still being treated the same. But a real telling statistic was that 57% of respondents said they'd been bullied by their administration in the school or by other teachers in the school. So that's not a good look for the teaching profession. And there's not many other professions who would tolerate that. Um, I know when I was working at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, if anyone is bullied, uh, that the bully would be reported. They'd be bailed up and um, sent to administration. In the medical profession, bullies aren't tolerated. I wonder why they're tolerated in the education profession. And one more thing that I think teachers will be interested in is the most recent research about the NDIS which is the, uh, for overseas listeners, it's for our, our disability support scheme in Australia. And did you know that 12% of all boys, five to seven-year-olds, are on the NDIS for autism? Now, this is not, okay, we're not looking at just the NDIS and saying, well, they're 12% of them. It's 12% of the boys in Australia who are between five and seven years old, are on the NDIS for autism, which is absolutely amazing. So there's funding going into 12% of the boys between five and seven in Australia for autism. Uh, compared to the girls, there is 5% uh, of the girls in Australia between five and seven years old uh, are on the NDIS. An amazing statistic. And That's going to be uh, examined pretty closely by the federal government, I think. All right, time for our first interview. I spoke to Marty Ross. Marty is the founder of the Bad Mathematics website. He's uh, an observer of everything mathematical, especially the curriculum. Um, And I began by asking him about his maths credentials,
1: Sure. Um, Well, I grew up in Melbourne. Um, I'm American, but I grew up in Melbourne, went to local suburban school, uh, did undergraduate at ANU and then a PhD at Stanford in mathematics, Um, then came back to Australia to do um, basically just a regular lecture at university for quite a while.
0: And you're a solid critic of the National Maths Curriculum. The, the new national curriculum that's come out fairly recently. What's wrong with it? Uh,
1: basically everything. Um, it, I mean, pretty much any way you can muck up a curriculum, they've done it. Um, the most obvious aspect, the, the thing that, that tends to be focused on in, in the media is the lack of emphasis on the basics, which, you know, is kind of a cliche, but it's true. I mean, it's just... You need the basics of arithmetic and algebra to do anything in math, and it's not there. But there's plenty of others. There's sort of this emphasis on the modeling and the real world, this kind of application of math rather than actually getting it done. And also, the curriculum is just unusable. It's unreadable. It really is incredibly difficult to actually read the mathematics curriculum compared to something like the Singapore curriculum, and it's just, it's, it's astonishing.
0: By that, Marty, do you mean that, that for teachers who are trying to plough their way through it, it's really hard to understand? Is It's hard to understand for teachers.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's basically impossible. Um, look, I mean, most, it, there's a division between primary and secondary <laughs> teachers. Secondary teachers basically never look at the curriculum. They they will be guided by a textbook. The textbooks aren't great, but that's another story. But they'll be guided by the textbook. They kind of know what the curric- you know they they kind of know the endpoints, and they simply don't bother looking at the curriculum. They don't need to. They they'll get on with it, and that doesn't mean they're doing a good job. There's all sorts of things going wrong, but they don't need it. Primary teachers need it because they don't have textbooks. And so they really need to consult the curriculum to have some sense of what it is it's supposed to be doing, and it's and it's a disaster. It's just it's unreadable.
0: Right. So there's no examples in the curriculum. I look to be honest, maths is not my strong point. I haven't looked at the maths yep. national curriculum. So do they have examples and and how to teach things or, or not at all?
1: Well, examples is not kind of the, what you would normally expect in a curriculum. There are extra, you know, extra curriculum materials to go with it. But the basic curriculum saying what you should teach, you know, what the structure is, is is just not there. There's kind of what are called elaborations. And elaborations are sort of optional things, volu- voluntary things to give you some sense of how to teach or, <laughs> well, who knows what they are really. But they're, they're supposed to give some kind of flesh to the bones of the curriculum. But the elaborations are terrible.
0: When I started teaching back in 1978, um, I, the, I remember the maths curriculum was you know you you would do adding up of single digits and then you'd you, once the student had that you'd move on to adding up double digits triple digits and all that sort of thing. So is there a progression in the maths curriculum or or does it also lack that?
1: No, well that's a great example. Yeah, of course there's a progression. I mean, they, it, you know, it's not like they they they're they're completely nuts, but but the progression is very hard to see. And and in fact the 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 addition example is a very good one um, t- to give. I mean, as you say, I mean, if you think about what is required to, you know, what are, what are the basics of teaching just, just addition of whole numbers? You have your single digits, right? So 9 plus 8, 17. You just have to know it. And then, then you've got your double digits, you know, 23 plus 36. Yeah, And you should be able to work that out quickly in your head. And then you've got triple digits, you know, 123 plus 489, where you need to to learn and and be efficient with the standard algorithm for adding. Now that progression, that, that sort of very natural progression, it's it's sort of vaguely somehow somewhere in the curriculum, yeah. but you can't find it. I mean, I challenge any of your listeners to find it. Where are the first? Where are the single digits done? Where are the double digits done? Where are the triple digits done? You 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 won't be able to find it.
0: Yes. And I think maybe listeners can, can consider an example too. I mean, I, how often do you get given the wrong change from a young person who is just at a cafe or something like that? That's happened to me several times in the last month where they just get the, the takeaways wrong, you know, and they don't use a, a, a big cash register. So it's, um, it's failing them there too.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's obvious. It's obvious. I mean, it's just, just the mental facility is, is, is not there. And, it, and it's been a problem for a long time. It's not like the problem started with this new mathematics curriculum. The, you know, the problems have been, been developing for decades.
0: And, 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 Marty, how have they been developing? And who's been developing this change? What's behind it?
1: You know, there's general cultural forces of dumbing down. Of watching TV rather than reading books, of having kids play games rather than sitting still and pay attention, to having tables, having mm. kids around tables rather than facing a teacher who's actually teaching mm. in the front of the room. All of this, you know, has has played its role. Um, with mathematics specifically, there's been, well, there's been the development of a world of education academics. Yeah. And I'm not sure how that's affected other disciplines, but it's been pretty much a disaster for mathematics. The mathematics education academics are simply not mathematically inclined. They, they 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 don't appreciate mathematics and they don't know mathematics the way mathematicians do, and the mathematicians have been sidelined from from anything like the curriculum or or what goes on in schools.
0: How does this disadvantage students who want to go on to be have a career in perhaps uh, yeah, physics or engineering?
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, it means that a lot of students are screwed. And I mean, you, by the time they get to secondary school, I mean, if you talk to secondary math teachers, all they want from primary schools for mathematics is that the students have a good facility with arithmetic. That's all that matters, all right? So they know their tables, they know their addition facts, they can do the basic algorithms, they have a decent understanding of fractions and the way they work, and then you can take off. But many of students don't, and they get caught behind, they start behind in secondary school, and they never catch up. And if you look at the curriculum, every secondary school teacher knows, if you look at the... The um, foundation to Year Ten mathematics curriculum, it is not enough for you to do proper high-level senior mathematics, high-level Year Eleven and Year Twelve mathematics. The specialist maths or the math math methods. So it's simply, um, and everybody knows it. And and in it, you know, in a decent school, if you're paying a million dollars to go to Scotch College or whatever, then then, you know, or you've got a tiger mom you know, (laughs) who's taking care of you or whatever, then you'll be fine. But if you you rely on a standard school doing the standard curriculum, you will simply not be able to do high level mathematics when you get to years 11 and
0: 12. Now, you've been a critic of problem solving and discovery learning in maths. Do you think that this all has something to do with the decline?
1: I don't get into these sort of pedagogical battles too much, they, they need to be instructed what to do and then practice doing it. It's not that hard. Now, problem solving is a really tricky one because mathematicians, you know, you think of them as problem solvers. They love problem solving. But what a mathematician regards as problem solving is completely different from what problem solving, is, how it, how that is presented in the curriculum. So mathematical problem solving is still highly mathematical. You might have one or two steps to do a problem or then it becomes more complicated or you have a lot of different techniques that might go in, but it's mathematics. It's not some dumb real world, how am I going to paint my room and how much paint do I need crap? I mean, it's not not this sort of open-ended real world twaddle, which is what the the curriculum is full of.
0: Yeah. So in in trying to get this relevant to students, we've actually missed the whole point of maths.
1: Of course, of course. I mean, the point of mathematics, the reason mathematics is so powerful is because it's abstracted, because you don't get the fogginess of the real world, and you can actually concentrate on on the essence of what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, of course, it can become abstract and pure, and that that is something to be concerned about. And And of course, you want to you know, bring in the world sometimes, but fundamentally, mathematics can be taught and is powerful because it does not deal with the real world in that manner.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's very definite. Once a formula is established, it's a definite formula. Yeah,
1: of course, of course. Pythagoras' theorem is, you know,
0: yeah. is
1: is true in the way it was thousands of years ago when when people came up with
0: it. Yes, perhaps we've lo- lost. Or we, we, we become mistrustful of things that are definite and like teachers can't tell a child that they're right or wrong. Um, they just have to see their behaviour as, as expressing something. And maybe we've lost that idea that two and two can equal four. Yes, very um, much. I want to get back to something you said earlier on, Marty, that um, the secondary teacher wants students who know their tables. Now, um, I learnt my tables by, by rote learning. I remember that in primary school. I remember I taught tables in that way. Um, so rote learning is, is really important to build neural networks in the brain at, a, at an early age. Um, now, historical facts is another one of those, or, or even the rules of the road. But do you think students are actually capable of learning rote style? In 2023,
1: I mean, one of the things before we get to rote learning, one of the things is simply appreciating the importance of facts, and that's an easy one. So, as you say in history, if you don't have the kind of skeleton of some sense of dates and and major figures, then you can't hang mm. any understanding on it. And similarly, in mathematics, if you don't if you don't know your tables, then you 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 can't you know if you're yeah. trying to figure out what seven times six is, then you can't possibly be thinking about what you're trying to use it for. You just have to have that on your fingertips. Now, I understand, you know, I understand that there's kind of big debates and people bring in the neuroscience and there's the cognitive load stuff. And I have not paid much attention to that. For me, it's simply all common sense that you need your basic facts. Now, how you get those basic facts is another question. And I guess that's the case where rote learning is simply, well, you know, seven times six is 42, seven times six is 42, or whatever, or you're chanting your tables. No, I I think chanting is a good thing. You know, I remember chanting, it seems natural, kids like to chant. And, you know, and you have nursery rhymes, one, two, buckle my shoe. I mean, it it, clearly, this, this, you know, it, it seems very natural to me to have this kind of chanting for facts that you simply have to know as long as they got the the damn fact
0: for listeners who who may not be familiar with rote it's about repetitive uh, speaking of, of of a fact learning tables for example would be constantly repeating that seven times seven is 49 seven times seven is 49 uh so it becomes imprinted in the brain the neurons um because of the repetition do join up. Those that fire together wire together. So the idea is the neurons keep firing, keep firing until they wire and you've actually know what seven times seven is. So that's seemingly what we've lost in, um, in many parts of the curriculum I, w- I would think. So, so how do you correct this? What would be your suggestions for correcting it? Because at the moment we're not making Australia a very smart country. Is it the people? Is is it the teacher training academics that need to get their feet back in the real world?
1: The the teacher training, look, no question that teacher training is a disaster. I mean, one of the things is we're talking about the need for the multiplication tables, your basic facts, is most teachers come out of teacher training believing that the, the majority of primary school teachers do not think that knowing your tables by heart is important and that's the kind of thing they're instructed you know that they're taught to believe in teacher training in terms of the curriculum in terms of in terms of what's gone wrong yes and there's various people who want a say in the curriculum and i think you have to separate these four fundamental groups there's the teachers there's the, the there's the education academics that you're referring to as the teacher trainers uh, there's the bureaucrats, and there's the mathematicians. And for decades, these four groups have fought and, you know, for power over things like the curriculum, and there's been various alliances. The current curriculum is really uh, a marriage between the education academics and the bureaucrats. Um, ACARA, but also the state-based authorities. Those were the guys who had the big say in it. They had the power... They had the clout they had the numbers the teachers didn't get involved that much and the mathematicians really were were sidelined completely from from the production of the curriculum now if you leave school mathematics in the hands of the mathematicians you can get pretty weird and i'm certainly not advocating that but if you don't have what akara likes to refer to as the subject matter experts the actual mathematicians Intimately involved in the production of the curriculum, you're going to end up with lunacy, and that's what we've got. Wow,
0: well, there's a man who doesn't doesn't hold back. Lunacy is what we have. That was Marty Ross. He's the founder of Bad Mathematics. Um, he's one of the subject experts, which Akara likes to say are, are important, but they weren't considered, and they weren't asked. Now this episode will be going for just just under an hour. Now I don't know about you, but uh, when I listen to a long episode, uh, perhaps a Jordan Peterson episode, I like to actually have a cupper after about 25 minutes or sometimes leave the rest for the next day or take it over three days. So there is no need really, I found with, uh, with podcast episodes, to listen to the whole thing all at once. My next guest is Colleen Harkin. Colleen is an ex-teacher. She's now the National Manager of Class Action Programs and Research Fellow for the Institute of Public Affairs. And you might say, what on earth is a class action program? Well, Colleen really provides um, alternative teaching resources uh, for teachers to effectively... um, teach about civics, about different, about history, about different subject areas, without the woke content um, that you might be finding in some elements or some parts of the curriculum. The curriculum materials that Colleen provides are realistic. Of course, it mentions Indigenous history. Of course, it does. Um, but it also mentions convict history and explorer history. Uh, and I began by asking Colleen about some of the language that is used in the national curriculum. Colleen, a common sentence in nearly every subject area that I've looked at is that the study of whatever is interpretive by nature and promotes debate and encouraging thinking about human values, including present and future challenges. This is in maths and history and science. How can, say, maths be interpreted?
2: Well, I mean, it can't. Um, and that's, that's the, the, the ideology behind the national curriculum, Phil, is this um, notion of cross-curriculum priorities and that every subject at every year level um, has to include, it mandates that it must consider uh, sustainability, which is climate change, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders' histories and cultures. So um, that's how they kind of fit in those mandates, in, and it goes across so all, is, you know, history. Uh, I mean, of course, areas like history are, are more complicated and can be interpreted, and it can be discussed, and it's controversial. History is never pretty, but subjects like maths, um, they they do insist on. Um, that sort of notion of uh, contested knowledge, uh, and it's because of this this cross-curriculum area where the purity of the subject is is not um, not valued.
0: It really comes down to um, that. There's no longer any truth. The truth no longer exists, and there's no definition of anything.
2: Well, again, the the curriculum is very much about how you feel. Um, it's not factually based uh, and feeling trumps facts that's what the students are being taught all the time is that um, they're social warriors and so all of those issues of inclusion and diversity and equity and all those buzzwords that we hear all the time now is very much part of the 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 muck that is in within all of the subjects so when you sort of say truth doesn't exist it actually truth is is not a priority anymore in the curriculum it's how you feel that 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 takes priority over everything else a
0: a sentence in the civics and citizenship curriculum is um, explore the nature of citizenship diversity and identity in contemporary society, that's one of the aims of the whole course. Mm. What are they really getting at with the words diversity and identity?
2: Well, the the DEI kind of mantra that we see all the time that teaches the students that. Um, it, You know, you have to... It's equal outcomes. The expectation is equal outcomes, not equal opportunity. So if I can sort of explain that, what happens in the curriculum is that everything is based around social justice and that um, the the world is... That's their job in the world is to ensure social justice. And the only way that social justice can be obtained is by this sort of notion of diversity, equity and inclusion. And that means that... um, Merit is no longer the priority. It's actually about um, everybody feeling good about themselves and that, um, you you know, the, the end result is equal outcomes. So everybody's equal on an equal playing field. There's even sort of very questionable content in areas of geography that sort of say, um, the topography of a country is, you know, socially unfair. <laughs> so it's not a it's not a case of of um, celebrating differences and enjoying, uh, you know, different things that different places offer. It's the push is that everything has to be equal based on um, the control, the control mechanism is this diversity, equity, inclusion. And it all sounds very touchy-feely. I mean, if you're a 15 or 16-year-old child, it all sounds utopian. Uh, But the end result is that the the expectation that they can solve all the world's problems through this social justice warrior kind of um, crown that's been put on their head.
0: Yes, yeah, they're dreaming. Now, equal outcomes. Um, I, I've never thought that this was possible, but perhaps I'm naive. Are equal outcomes possible for everyone in our society?
2: Well, I i don't believe so. And I think there's, you know, gazillions of examples that would show anybody that it isn't. I mean, those old stories about give one person a dollar and see what happens to it in a year's time you know um some people it, we all have different skills we have different talents we have different needs we have different desires we're not we are not robotic um cardboard cutouts of each other so in and of itself we can't possibly expect equal outcomes when we haven't started with the same DNA <laughs> to start with. That's right. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's an outrageous kind of um, and very dangerous concept, I think, to be teaching kids that you can control all of the outcomes and you can control human desire.
0: Yes, it denies biology and, and realism, doesn't it? It's like saying to a person who's unfortunately born without any hands that they can be an excellent carpenter.
2: And it's very difficult with some of these things to sound too critical because the intention is there. When you're teaching a young child that you are special and you're wonderful um, and you want to boost their self-esteem and all that kind of stuff, it's like, great. But you have to be very careful with the fact that um, they have to be able to fail because failing builds resilience. And so this idea that we can all succeed at anything we ever want to do is... Clearly not true, um, and we—I mean—we don't want to be pulverising five and six-year-old children with with the, you know notions of failure and um, you know all these difficult tasks. But there is that absolute balance that is is being lost, and that uh, students do believe um, that they can control the world. That's why we see a lot of them out protesting that they they do believe that. Um, they are these global citizens who can control what's going on. Uh, and they're, they're, we've lost that, compas- that capacity to appreciate failure. Yes. Uh, we we're not all going to achieve the same thing.
0: And we look, we don't all want to achieve the same thing either. I mean, it, 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 realistically, kids know what they're capable of doing and they know what they want to do. And often, you know, if you let them be, they'll be realistic about it
2: yeah well, the other thing is authentic praise, so uh, you know kids are not dumb they they know the difference between um, you know ice cream fat praise and saying you know you're doing a great job when they know they're not, so and adults are the same. i mean everybody everybody likes to receive praise and recognition, but people, particularly students, know when it's just fabricated. So the idea of specific and very targeted praise is very valuable, but the idea that everybody's a winner all the time is actually quite uh, dangerous to their development.
0: So is this word equity ruining our education system and indeed our society?
2: I think so. Uh, you know, there is no genuine thing as equal. We're not equal. We We are all different people with different talents, and that's what we should be celebrating. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm good at some things and I'm absolutely hopeless at other things and there's no need to focus on what I'm hopeless at, but I have to know that I'm not great at that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's part yeah. of life. It's just normal part of life.
0: Yes, when my first book came out in 1998, I argued that, that mums and dads, men and women, were equal but different. You know, uh, mums could breastfeed, men couldn't. And now we're seeing that men are, uh, tr- you know, trying to actually – be able to breastfeed and it's just ridiculous
2: well the real issue that you know for, from the national curriculum perspective is it is unfortunately telling students that um they that everybody is the same that everybody should everybody should have the same outcome uh, every that you can control all circumstances including the climate for example and um it, it, is, it is not true for a start, but it's also not allowing them to explore and to, uh, to discover, for, you know, argue about certain circumstances because they only get one side of that story.
0: Yes, indeed. They've lost the ability to debate, haven't they, and see that there can be two sides to, to a story. Um, now, Colin, the history curriculum has this statement. I'll play you the audio. Explanations of the
1: past about specific people, groups, events or developments use evidence from historical sources. Contestability occurs when particular interpretations about the past are open to debate, for example, as a result of a lack of evidence, the discovery of new evidence, different perspectives of historians, public
0: commentators or groups. Now, Colleen, isn't this paragraph on contestability... Actually saying that we live in a post-truth world where facts and the truth can actually be contested, questioned and changed, perhaps through um, activists working in a certain direction.
2: That's the bread and butter of the national curriculum. It, It promotes their job, a student's job, everybody's job is to be an activist, to change the world. That's what you're supposed to do. And so that's why we see these kids marching out on the street, you know, strikes for climate and strikes for Palestine. Uh, it's because they, they've they found their purpose in life. That's what they've been taught for a very long time. For the 10 years that they've been at school, their purpose is an activist for social justice and social warriors. So um, it's definitely no surprise because that's what they're being told they're supposed to do. So we've got we've got genera you know d- generations of young teachers coming out who are not trained in how to teach, and they're not trained in how people learn. They're actually they themselves are trained in activism.
0: Now I'll stand up for the listeners to this podcast because um, I'll say that ninety nine percent of the listeners um, are horrified about what they are seeing in schools um, from younger teachers. The older teachers haven't been through this woke university system of teacher training, but it's the younger ones who have, and they've been the victim of it. Um, most of the listeners here, Colleen, will be absolutely agreeing with you on this. But I'll, I'll add that it's it's these teachers, the, the more experienced ones, the ones with skin in the game who, who knew the profession when it was good. They're the ones who are thinking of leaving the profession?
2: About 50% of the teacher work class is thinking of leaving in the next year or two of all teachers in Australia. So that tells us something about the level of the problem that exists. Uh, it's the, the national curriculum is an incredibly unwieldy, um, complicated um, document to use. It's physically not possible to do everything that's in that curriculum. Um, and that is the justification for the cross-curriculum priorities that pollutes the subject matter that means that the kids aren't actually learning properly what they're supposed to learn. So it's a cyclical kind of very serious problem. Um, you know, e- every area of the matrix of our education system is quite broken, and I know that sounds over dramatic, but it's a reality. When you have half the workforce ready to leave, and you have 80% of all teachers report that in the last 12 months they have experienced verbal or physical abuse, no other workplace would tolerate that. Circ- those circumstances. So, you know, the education system really is in crisis. It really is.
0: Look, Colleen, finally, there's a move afoot, albeit it's a small move, but there's been several pieces about it. To dump the national curriculum and return to a more local platform of curriculum formation. So a school could make additions to the curriculum that they teach relevant to their community and exclude um, parts that are irrelevant. What's your opinion of that?
2: Um, In all circumstances, every time uh, an organisation centralises and becomes this big behemoth bureaucracy, it loses touch with the reality of what it's supposed to be doing and it becomes just a huge fiscal overhead. Um, ACARA, the organisation that sets out the national curriculum, is a $30 million a year organisation that has no teachers. It's just bureaucracy, pushing paper from one side to the other and telling people at the coalface what they need to be doing. So, I'm, you know, the IPA is very much supportive of deconstructing Um, and, you know, abandoning the national curriculum. For more, you know, it is an ideologically driven curriculum and it's also not serving its purpose. It's not fit for purpose. Our students are failing. One in three year nine students is not meeting minimum standards. Um, So, you know, to deconstruct all of that uh, bureaucracy can only serve us better.
0: Colleen, thanks so much for, for um, your view about the National Curriculum and, and uh, uh, I hope you have a good Christmas.
2: Yeah, thank you. And you too, Phil.
0: And that was Colleen Harkin, the Head of Class Action Programs at the Institute of Public Affairs. Um, there was a lot in there um, about the National Curriculum uh, and the perspective and the philosophies that it's trying to implant. Now, my next guest is going to be Dr. Bella de Arrera. Um But before that, we're going to have a little brain break, which we haven't had for a, a, a few seasons now. This brain break is dedicated to my good friend and my teacher mentor, Greg Newton, who passed away uh, last Saturday. Um, Greg helped me become... Uh, a good teacher Um, back in 1978, 79 he was a terrific teacher a great musician Um, and I'd like to dedicate uh, this to him, this is actually Greg playing uh, the King of the Fairies and it seems like the National Curriculum is off with the fairies so it's um, very fitting I think (laughs) was Greg Newton playing the penny whistle off the Bless All Moonshiners" remastered album that's available on all the streaming services. Um, and Greg was a great friend of mine and um, it really helped when I became a teacher. Now, Dr. Bella De Abrera is the Director of the Foundations of Western Civilization Program at the Institute of Public Affairs. She's got a BA in History and Spanish from Monash University, an MA in Spanish from the University of St. Andrews, and a PhD in History from the University of Cambridge. And I've been trying to get uh, Dr. De Abrera onto the podcast for quite a while. Welcome to Marking the Roll.
3: Thank you, Phil, so much. It's, it's it's a pleasure to be talking to you.
0: Now, Bella, firstly, teacher training has been discussed many times on this podcast, and not very favourably. What has your recent research shown?
3: Well, yes, look, um, I, I, I've, my recent research has shown that those discussions, um, those unfavourable discussions are actually justified. Um, I looked at all the teaching courses across the 37 universities in Australia that offer teaching degrees. So that was uh, a whopping 3,713 subjects. Um, I also looked at the um, the required reading, the texts for for many of the courses. That are you know some of them are very available online, some of them aren't. There was a little bit of digging, but but mostly you could get us a, build a very good picture of of what's being taught. Um, and I was actually quite um, uh, you know, it's hard to be shocked in this job looking at, at, at woke stuff. You know, I've looked at the national curriculum, which we'll, I think we'll be talking about later. But I, I, I was actually quite shocked to see the type of things that the teachers are, are required to, to learn. Much of it is compulsory. Um, I did a uh, sort of um, systematic audit in terms of breaking down the subjects that, that were classed as woke, um, which your listeners will understand, of things like diversity and inclusion, um, social emotional learning, sustainability, all that stuff, um, compared to courses that actually taught the teachers how to to teach the core academic material, so literacy and numeracy and science and 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 you know phonics and and all those things, um, and they were completely dwarfed by the, the 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 social the critical social justice subjects, the woke subjects, um, out of the three thousand seven hundred odd. Subjects, you know, a third of them were woke, and and only a small percentage—three, uh, three hundred seventy-one out of the three thousand odd subjects—were actually devoted to to the core the core subjects. I mean, that is, it should be the other way around.
0: So, so you're saying less than ten percent of all of the subjects taught to teacher teacher trainees um, talk about how to teach maths and English and and the basics. And the rest would be teaching stuff like critical race theory, I'd imagine?
3: So a third of the subjects I would classify as critical social justice. So critical race theory, radical gender theory, um, decolonization, uh, social and emotional learning, sustainability. The the most concerning part of this, and I think what your listeners will, will understand, is that there is a correlation between... The, the, the plummeting standards of Australian children when it comes to literacy and numeracy and the fact that teachers aren't being taught how to teach those things. I mean, that at the most basic level is, is, is I think, the problem that we have in our, in our society. We're producing an illiterate society because the education departments aren't giving teachers the, those foundational skills. So how, how can they then pass those on to
0: the students? It's the foundational skills of literacy and numeracy, but also behaviour management. Um, from all of the teachers I've spoken to in the last two years, they're saying that they just were not equipped um, for the range of different behaviours that were in a classroom. And, and this is another reason why our um, quality of, of, of education and, and what kids are achieving has, has gone down so much.
3: Yes, I mean this is what Catherine Burble saying sort of uh, you know mantra, isn't it? You can't if your classroom is not disciplined, you can't you can't impart knowledge. But uh, I guess it's taking a step back, I mean the problem is the teachers don't aren't equipped with <laughs> with the knowledge to impart anyway. So it's a total disaster. I think I think where isn't it seventieth out of seventy seven cl- bad classroom? Uh, isn't that the Correct. statistic? Yeah. I mean this is this is this is unbelievable. F- I feel I feel for the teachers who have to face this every day and. And I think something that, um, that isn't being talked about is also the, the influence um, of, of the, the critical pedagogy in the classroom, which is, is this effort to democratize the classroom so there can be no hierarchy, um, which is another thing that, that, that is a problem for teachers, which is that they're not allowed to be figures of authority. Um, that, is, that is long since gone. Oh, I think that's the other problem that, that people aren't talking about.
0: Teachers have told me that they can't use the words right and wrong <laughs> anymore. They, they, they can't actually – and rules, you know, they're <sighs> making students um, abide by rules. And if a student doesn't abide by the rule, well, they're just communicating in a certain way. And they're just got they're, – they're trying to communicate something. And, and you think, wow, what's going to happen to that kid when they get out into society? Um, yeah, it's, yes. It's just not equipping our students for the modern world at all, I'm afraid.
3: No, so, so not only are they going to be illiterate and enumerate, but they won't understand the difference between right and wrong, and they won't understand, um, as you say, it's, it's in the modern world and real life. I mean, what kind of people are these going to be? What, what kind of people will we end up with? And I think, you know, they're the people that go on climate ch- change strikes, um, and 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 and, and pro Palestinian marchers and have no idea why they're,
0: why they're there. No, they don't understand the issues. Now, once a teacher comes out of university, Bella, and into the school system, their professional development—you know, their teachers' PD—still doesn't address the issues, according to what the listeners have told me. Because uh, NESA and the bureaucracies are equally as captured by this woke. Ideology is that right?
3: Well, look, I don't have personal experience of, of what happens to teachers once they they do leave university. I can tell you though that that everyone in a in an education bureaucratic department is has been captured and is progressive. You, you you don't have a position if you're not. You don't have a position in you're you're not in the bureaucracy if you're if you're if you're not this way inclined. And you know, and I think a lot of them generally generally believe that. The, the goal they're working towards is is necessary for society. I think they're very well-intentioned um, and they do believe in what they're doing. They do believe in this project. They do believe that the purpose of teaching is to bring about social change. But I think you and I know that this has dire consequences and this is what we're seeing in the classrooms every day um, and 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 the teachers that tell you these horror stories.
0: Yeah. Look, and it's also not the role of a teacher or teacher training to change the society. It's to equip the the students and the teachers um, for the society that they're in.
3: Well it's interesting you should say that because that's one thing that I found was very very overt in so many of the courses is that you are a teacher because you have to you have to change society and you have to teach students how to change society. You have to be agents of change in the classroom and outside of the classroom. I mean that is a very strong theme in, in these 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 subjects. I mean, I can't tell you how many I found. I've got, I mean, my report is is, is 40 odd pages long, and you know, more than half of that is just, I just cut and pasted the most egregious examples of these things.
0: Yes, I'm going to put some of those subject outlines, which you have in the report, um, on, the, uh, on the website too, so that they can see them. And I, I've looked at them from the University of Technology, Sydney, and there is one course that actually teaches activism for teaching.
3: That this is this is it that they teach the the teachers how to be activists so they can then in turn teach the children how to be activists because the the critical pedagogy of Paulo Freire which I talk about in the 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 report which not many people are talking about um, is is not about the 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 education of children in the traditional liberal liberal, classical liberal sense, it's the politicization of children. It's bringing them to this Marxist consciousness (laughs) so that they'll be ready to to participate in this perpetual revolution. And you can see it happening. This is why they go out on the streets, because they're being used by uh, progressives in the schools to become revolutionaries. When Paolo Freire talked about literacy, he meant political literacy. He didn't mean, he didn't mean literacy, as you and I understand it, in a literal sense. This is actually what's going on in Australian schools, and it's terrifying.
0: You found that 50% of teacher education students don't finish their degree, so half of them drop out anyway within the four years. Um, did you have any idea why that was? Why that they were dropping out? Is it because of – and I'm going to surmise it's because of the content –
3: Well, this is exactly, this is right. And this is what I wanted to put in the report and I didn't. But I think you're right. I think the teachers who, because teaching is a vocation, It's, it's something that people are driven to do. It's a vocational profession. It's not, you know, it's not shuffling papers or selling shoes or something. You really, there's a reason why people go into teaching. And I think, and I suspect that most people go in and they think, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to be a, uh, a social justice warrior and an agent of change. I actually want to make a difference in children's lives and in part knowledge. and I suspect that the 50 percent who leave see that it's not that teaching isn't what they thought it was going to be. and unfortunately the 50 percent who stay are fully engaged um, and signed up to the project. Which is why we keep getting these horror stories from schools, you know, from from what what teachers are, are teaching their prep prep, you know, four year olds upwards, because um, they're the ones that have stuck with it and they think They, they and as I say, I think they're well intentioned. I think they believe that they're they're on the side of of good here. I think they believe that they can achieve this ultimate socialist utopia, and then everything will be fine.
0: Ridiculous. I, I used to be a tertiary supervisor for Macquarie University. Well, about two years ago now, where I would go out and um, look at teachers in their final year, look at the students, um, watch them teach, and evaluate them according to certain criteria. I remember there was there was many students who were teaching grades three, four, five. You know, small children really. Some were even in 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 kindergarten. And their classroom management was pretty bad, and managing poor behaviour was bad. And I asked them, "Um, look, have you considered singing a little song and getting them to sing a song to get their attention back, give them a little bit of a break? And they went, songs? No, no, we don't do that at university. I said, yes, but you're teaching eight-year-olds. They like to have a song. Uh, What about games? Oh, Oh, no, we don't do games. They don't even do the little hand actions that tries to get the attention back. All of that has gone, and it is it is a real shame. A real shame.
3: Well, again, I'm not surprised because the, the, the some of the worst subjects were primary level, um, as you see from the report. And there's nothing there's nothing lighthearted or childish about them at all. It's all fairly um, fairly heavy going um, radical radical gender theory and critical race theory at that level. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised that they didn't they didn't think to sing them songs.
0: And of course, they're teaching year threes that they're responsible for um, colonisation of Australia and the treatment of the Indigenous.
3: That's right, exactly.
0: No wonder kids are depressed.
3: They are, they really are.
0: Now, Bella, we know that teacher training has gone down the gurgler. What impact does this have on the national curriculum? Because I've read through most of the national curriculum and I've got to say, I was pretty appalled.
3: (laughs) Um, I mean, they're interchangeable. The, 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 there's literally cutting, paste, cut and pasting out of out of school materials. I don't know which way it goes. I don't know. It's like a chicken and egg thing. That I actually thought I should have done the teacher training report first, and then the national curriculum afterwards. But they're the same people. They're the same people in the education departments writing the national curriculum, teaching the teachers how to teach. It's exactly the same. Sustainability. The the approach to um, Aboriginal education is exactly the same. There was not. There's not one course. In the teaching uh, degrees, that doesn't teach that Australia is a systemically racist country. That, that we stole that that you know we stole the land from from the Aboriginal Australia. It's exactly the same as the cross-curriculum priority in the national curriculum. Identical. Yeah. So the, it will be. I mean, it'll be very easy for the teachers. It'll be familiar for these teachers because they would. This is what they've been trained with. So as soon as they go to teach the national curriculum, they know it already. And so, um, which is again another problem for the teachers who don't want this because now that now they they're, they're having to teach. The,
0: this this terrible curriculum. Absolutely. And and I, I do find with, with my listeners that they're mostly over the age of 40, a lot of them. They've been in this system for 15 to 20 years. They've seen teaching when it was a better job and suddenly it's not. Now, um, looking at the New South Wales history curriculum, um, did you know that um, Indigenous... And uh, Aboriginal is mentioned 136 times. And Philip, Captain Philip, is mentioned once. Cook, not at all.
3: (laughs) I'm not surprised at that at all. I've done many of those counts over the years, and it's always very predictable. Um, I I think, you know, I've done... um, uh, I've looked at history degrees in universities, uh, which reflects how history is taught in the curriculum. Um, And... um, the most common theme that I found in history faculties was Aboriginal issues um, and Aboriginal history. Well, see, I mean this reflects the the preoccupations of educationalists, the progressives, who generally I think they I think they despise Australia as it is. They think it's systemically racist. They think that the the, the white people, the British invaded Australia and they think that everything that's happened afterwards has been an absolute disaster and i think they think their role somehow is into is to, is to write that wrong of history as well
0: as you said good intention because they've been indoctrinated totally by by it's like a cult
3: yes i i it's 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 very cultish uh, there's no curiosity or um or interest in in perhaps looking at the other side of of the of the argument and i think this reflects in something like the Terrible referendum that we just got through, um, and, um, and and reflect, reflects this sort of um, the, the the idea that anyone who says anything otherwise about Australian history is a racist.
0: Do you think that there is any momentum in Parliament or in governments to actually rectify and teacher training in this whole woke education industry?
3: There are people like Senator Alex Antic who who knows it's going on, but there are individual politicians who understand the the, the seriousness of it all. Um, there is, you know, that the, the 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 federal government's come back with this Back to Basics plan, um, and they say that it's going to be mandatory for trainee teachers to to to, to do evidence based reading, writing, and arithmetic, classroom management practices, uh, things based on proven educational science about what what works best, um, and I think. This back to basics idea is definitely a step in the right direction, but until they get rid of all these woke courses, we're going to be stuck with exactly the same problem because the ideology that, that they're being taught is not only incompatible with the traditional notion of education, but, they, but it seeks to tear it down. So as long as these woke courses dominate teaching degrees, we're going to have the same problem. Teachers are going to be completely ill-equipped for the classroom.
0: Uh, Now, Bella, you've spoken out in favour of the English system where there's no four-year teacher training courses at all. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? So all
3: teachers need a bachelor's um, to teach primary and secondary and special, but it doesn't have to be a teaching degree. So this means you could um, decide to do um, a biology degree and then towards the end of it, you could decide that you actually want to teach and then when you have finished your degree, you can get something called a QTS, which is a qualified teacher status. Um, and that takes nine months full-time, or you can do that part-time, which is 18 to 24 months. So a lot of English universities offer uh, their normal degrees and then they, al- they also offer this opt-in QTS.
0: And can the can the person actually work in a school while they're doing the part-time QTS? I think they
3: can, um, but I do know that they get experience in two different schools. Um, and then after they've been awarded their two, their QTS, they go through an induction period that lasts one or two years. So 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 basically, it doesn't take as long in the UK. You can do your normal degree, so you don't get all the woke stuff, unless of course you do gender gender studies degree and then a teaching qualification at the end, which is I'm sure happening because um, they have they do have the same problems there that we have here, which is you know the wokeification of 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 the teaching fraternity. But the, there, it's much easier for. For people who are especially in the sciences and and, um, and and STEM to completely avoid anything to do with critical critical social justice. That sounds like a much better system to me.
0: Indeed, and the and the system of school funding is far better in the UK too, because uh, parents actually get a certain amount of money per child and they can choose where that child is going to go. Um finally, Bella. If you were advising parents now about uh, sending about their kids at school, or perhaps some of their kids wanted to go to teacher training, what would you be saying to parents?
3: I would say that parents have to do their due diligence, and while the IPA can present the research and and really highlight what's going on in the schools and what's going on in the national curriculum and what's going on in teacher training ultimately it's up to the parents to be very involved in what their children are learning going to talk to the principals talking to the teachers checking with their children every day about what they're being taught at school um and 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 really being involved again in the 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 upbringing the education of their children because i think for too long everyone's been outsourcing their children to the state um and and hoping for the best Um, And it's turned out that the state hasn't been educating their children properly.
0: That was Dr. Bella de Abrera from the Institute of Public Affairs. I will be putting links or a link to her most recent research about teacher training and the national curriculum uh, on the episode notes. So today we've had three perspectives on the national curriculum and a little bit extra on teacher training. Um, It doesn't bode well for education in Australia. Hopefully in 2024, we'll have some more positive news to tell you. Now, before we finish today, I just want to remind some of those teachers who have contacted me in the past, especially about the uh, gender ideology being taught in schools. Um, About uh, two weeks ago, uh, with some help from the United Kingdom, Um, and James Assess in the United Kingdom, I started the Declaration of Biological Truth Australia, where you can make your declaration clear that there are only two sexes, male and female, and that gender identity ideology has gone too far. It's not transphobic at all, this site. Um, As many people know, my grandfather was a transvestite. Um, but um, it does make the statement that gender ideology has gone a step too far um, just look up declaration of biological declaration of biological this is the final episode of marking the Roll for 2023 my name is Phil Dye. thank you very much for listening and thank you to those who have made donations to marking the role over the last 12 months you know who you are um, and um, i wish you a merry christmas a good holiday break and i'll see you again at the start of february see you then